you will this morning, turn with me to our text, which will be found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 13. One that I'm sure that we have heard many times in our life. Luke 18, 13, and it reads this way. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let us pray. O Lord, how great Thou art, and how merciful Thou art, and how long-suffering Thou art toward us. I thank You, Lord, that Thou art a faithful Lord, that You are always who You are, no matter if we believe or if we do not believe, no matter if we're sinning or not sinning. Lord, You are mighty, You are faithful, and You change not. For that, Lord, this day I am thankful. Thankful, Lord, that Thou art the only true God. I pray this hour now, Lord, that You would be pleased to reveal to us the depth in this passage, that You would show sinners this morning what this plea means, what it means to plead for Thy mercy, and what it means when You answer that plea. O Lord, may You be pleased this hour to reveal thyself, the depth of thy word, and bring us to thy feet, O Lord. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is what the grace of God through Jesus Christ always provides. It provides and produces the sinner's plea for mercy. I know that you know this passage And we've looked at it many times, and it's been examined many times. And it's not the passage that I want to look at as much this morning as I do the plea. The Lord emptied this sinner, and as this sinner was revealed things to himself, his cry out to the Lord was for mercy. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I love the Lord's mercy. I think we we all love the Lord's mercy. We love to cite those passages of His faithfulness that His mercies are new each day. But I thought about the word mercy and I thought about what does it mean to plead for the Lord's mercy? You know, there's, but there's depth in that. There's things we're pleading from our Lord and they're rightful things for us to plead. So this morning, I want to kind of look at that, and first we'll look at the parable in its entirety, and it's it starts in verse 9, but really to understand why the Lord is, is saying this, we, we look up at verse 1 in 18, and it says, he, he began another parable, and he said, he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he goes on about this parable, this short parable about... Um, a judge um, that did not fear God and one that came to him and continued to cry out to the judge to avenge them. And, and the Lord was showing and, and instructing us importunity. It's always good and righteous for the child of God to continue in conversation with the Lord. He's always there to hear our prayers. But in the prayer is where we commune with the Lord, where we're conversing with the Lord. So that's the first part, is he shows, he shows us that in prayer, 
there's never a time not to be praying. There's never a time that this mercy seat is not open to the children of God. And so then we go into verse 9, after he gets done with that parable, he says, then he spoke, or he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So right there we get we get the meaning already of what he's trying to get through to those that are listening to him is that first and foremost, the child of God will continue to ask the Lord and commune with the Lord in prayer. That that's important, whether you get your answer or not. That is a that channel is always open to the child of God. And then he tells us something about prayer. And he's going to contrast two individuals. And as he begins to do that, he, he says to the crowd, and the Pharisees were in the crowd, he says to them, there's a wrong way to pray. There's a wrong way of being brought to the... Mer- Boy, I should rephrase that. There's never a wrong way to be brought to the mercy seat, but there is a wrong way to approach the mercy seat or to approach God. And that's what the Lord is speaking of here. He said, there are those who trust in themselves that they are righteous. And we're going to see that in this parable. And we're going to see what that sounds like. And it's very examining to us today because the problem with this is that we have a nature in us that this describes. The nature, the fallen nature in us will always look after self and it will always despise others that have something we don't. We always, if we're envious, if we see the Lord's blessings on someone, we always bring that in ourselves. This is our fallen nature now. And our fallen nature is not happy, is not loving that the Lord is showing mercy to others. It's despising, despising the very event that's going on, the very mercy that the Lord is showing others. And you think about that, and you think about how quickly anger comes up in us. And so, as I said, he, he, said, he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised uh, and despised others. Then he says, two men went up into the temple to pray. So far, the Pharisees would have no problem with this. Two men went up to pray. But then he says something that totally astounds them. The one a Pharisee, which is not a problem for them there, but the other one is a problem. He's a publican. The most despised Jews were publicans. They were Jews that worked for the Roman government. They exacted taxes upon the people, and they exacted more than what there was. They were, and they were looked at the scum of the earth, the scourge of society. Now, keep in mind what Jesus said: two men went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisees are already offended because one of them doesn't belong there. One of them, it's fine that he said that he came. But you notice when Jesus upbraided the Pharisees and when he spoke the truth to the Pharisees, he always used the ones that they despised the most. 
When it was the Samaritan, he used the Samaritan, the, the, the one who stopped the help in the parable of the one who was left half dead. It was the Samaritan. It wasn't the Levite. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't any of the do-gooders. It was a Samaritan, the hated people that the Jews hated. So now we've got Jesus, he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. And as we start to examine this parable, and we already know what our text is, if we start to examine this parable, it's hard for us to get into this mindset unless we bring it to our day and age. We think of the drug addicts. We think of the prostitutes. We think of the, I'm sure there's other people you can put in there, that we look at our society and say, these are the people that bring down our society. We may put politicians in there. We may put a lot of things in there that we despise hearing their voices. We despise anything they have about them because we know the Bible's told us, stay away from those type people. And when they speak, or when they are gaining a place in society, we are angry and we are offended. It's not for them. Right? Even in this movement in this land with homosexuality or whatever it is, we think of that group and we say there's no way God could save someone like that. That's our fallen nature. It revile and it revi it hates that. It hates that in society when that group of people are starting to get inroads as we see. We get upset at that. Not that a sovereign God is over all of this. We don't bow to the sovereignty of God. We get upset. That's that fallen nature. That's that religious nature in us. Well, there's not there's nothing that they should be they, there's nothing in that group that should be rewarded. There's nothing that they should get. Okay, so I think we're all, that, that brings it a little bit better on our, the way that the Pharisees looked at the publicans. So the Pharisee, in verse 11, he stood, and notice what the Lord said. He prayed thus with himself. And that's what's wrong with religion today. One of the things is they pray with themselves. You're going to hear him mention the word God, and you're going to hear him Thank God, but Jesus made us understand something about a religious man's prayer. It's for himself. It's to himself. He, what he's trying to do is exalt himself. It's to show everyone around him what a great prayer warrior he is. Which I hate that term. Because truly, if prayer is prayer, it's birthed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings prayer about in his children. That, and, and all glory to the Lord for that. So when we hear these things and we see these things, don't miss them. Jesus said the Pharisee, and they're standing in the crowd now, he stood and he prayed with himself. We, we say that's weird terminology, but it just tells you something. He's full of himself. His singleness of eye is to himself. But he says, God, he knows who to address it to. He learned it in Sunday school. He learned it at, at the feet of whoever the law and the, the prophets were that were teaching in the temple. 
We know how to address our prayers. God. Well, Jesus told us there's one mediator in the Word of God. And there's one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. But the Pharisees believed they had a line, if you will, to God's ear. And that was their own piety and their own righteousness and their own merit. Merit's something that we can identify with. And the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee. Now let's listen to what he thanked God for. And I want you to notice all of these sins are outward sins. There's no thanking the Lord for pardoning grace. There's no thanking the Lord that the Lord has put a hedge about him, that the Lord has kept him from these things, that the Lord has performed these wonderful works for him. What you have is that little word, I. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. You're not a sinner? No, not in my eyes. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Look at my merit, God. This is the same offering that Cain brought before God and was rejected. It was not offered in faith. That's we heard what Abel's was. And so we have this very pious prayer. Oh, I'm, I'm thank God, I thank you, God, that I'm not as other men are. He's praying with himself, and he only mentions God in name. He's got this high-minded attitude, which Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Simple little statement there at the end. Are not wise. It's not the wisdom of God to compare yourselves to other men. It's not the wisdom of God and the mercy of God for you to compare yourself and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Because without the grace of God, there go I. And Paul says that all throughout his ministry and all throughout his letters. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there I, there I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And so we know that the Lord warned us about the Pharisees cleansing the outside of the cup. And he said inside was wickedness. And that's what we have in front of us, the outside of the cup. Well, I'm glad I'm not like this. I'm glad I'm not like this guy over here. And he sees the publican at the temple where he believes. He's already judge and jury. This one does not belong among us here. We can't let this one in here. I'm glad I'm not like that, that man. Or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So with that background, now we come to our text. And I want you to look at it first. And the publican, the other one, that the Lord brought to the temple, but not to the front of the temple, 
Not to where all the religious men gathered to talk about their religion and what they'd done for God. No, he's standing in the back. And as he's standing afar off, he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. Why? Because the weight of sin, the Holy Spirit has said to the publican, Thou art the man. He is convincing him of sin. He is convincing him that in the house of God, you're not worthy to be here. You're not worthy. You're not, you're not uh, worthy to come before this holy God because of sin. And that's what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. And then he reveals to us the merit of another. The merit of Christ. I said to you today, the purpose of this message is to talk about the plea for mercy. What is he pleading? What is it that we're suing the Lord for in mercy? What do we want to see? What is the mercy showing us? That we're forgiven. That his promises are true. We want to hear his commands to us. You know that? Mercy sues at the mercy seat to hear the command of the Lord. To hear what he has to say to us. And so we have the publican standing afar off who would not even lift up his eyes unto heaven and he tells the Lord by smoting upon his breast, here's the problem. I have a heart problem. That's why he's smoting himself on the breast. This is where the problem is, Lord. I have a deceitful and wicked heart. Everything that I do is sin. What a difference. What a difference. This is the difference between grace and religion. Grace and the high-mindedness of man. Grace humbles. Grace brings you to the feet of Christ to cry out for mercy. He smote upon his breast saying these words, God be merciful to me. And that article A should be the article the, which is what it translates in the Greek. It translates, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Because he compares himself if you're going to look at everyone else in the room, I'm the sinner of sinners. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Holy Spirit convinced the Apostle Paul that he was the chiefest of sinners. One that we certainly would not look at and say, well, Paul, you are a much worse sinner than I am if you've been revealed sin in your own life. If you've been revealed how far the, the fall has plunged you. Hold your finger there in 18 and just turn back to Luke 5 a minute. And we'll see this laid out for us in the call of uh, Levi. Look at verse 27 in Luke 5. And after these things, he went forth and he saw a publican. There's that publican again, that tax collector, that scourge of the earth, named Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. That's a command, dear ones. That's what mercy sues for. It wants to hear the commands of the Lord to our soul. Because we know, as Hawker tells us, 
The commands of the Lord are his enablings. I love that saying because I think it through and I think it's true. Without the command, the power and the command, I would never be enabled to do it. But with the power and the command, I'm enabled to do it. How do I know that? Well, let's look at Levi. Follow me. And he left all. Everything, his position, his title, his his extra money, whatever he was gaining his wealth by, and he rose up and he followed Christ and he left it all behind him. That's the power of grace. That's, that's the mercy of the Lord. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. Well, of course, he's a publican, so what kind of friends does he have? Publicans. So he invites them all to the feast and they sit down, but guess who's watching? The same one that's watching as the Lord is teaching how to pray in 18. The scribes and the Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Why is it that you're over there with the scourge of the earth? Why, why is it you're, you're lowering yourself to that? And Jesus, of course, knowing what they had to say, said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician. Those that are always whole in their own eyes, they do not need a physician in their own eyes. They don't. We have religious piety. That's all we need. All we need is just to tell. And, and, and you see that the more you're around uh, those people. I had to hear some stories this week of my poor daughter who sat in some training. Had to... was. A, exposed to a lot of that in the room a lot i've done this for god and then the next one oh no i've done this and the next one oh no i've done this and you just sit back going okay never what the lord's done for them but what they've done for god it's a sad place to be that's religion of this world and so jesus said i didn't come for you but they that are sick they that are sick, they need the physician. The ones that are sick, what, what are they riddled with? They're riddled with sin. They've been revealed their sin. Well, Jesus said, I, I've come for them. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is the plea for mercy? The plea for mercy, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, is a plea for the Lord to reveal that we're a sinner. That we, that we have a need for His blood to be applied. All throughout the Word, He brings His people to the throne of grace. Always, always to cry out for mercy. You remember back when, when, Daniel, um, when Daniel prayed three times a day. And those around him, the religious people, came in to attack him, you know, and they're like, oh, we we got to make a decree. we got to have the king sign something so that if he prays to them again, he's going to get thrown in the lion's den. And so they did. They made the king sign a decree that if any man would cry out or would pray to another god other than the king, he'd be thrown into the lion's den. Now listen to what Daniel 6.10 says. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that decree. He went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, 
He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Grace brought him to the throne. But why Jerusalem? Why, why three times a day is he, is he turned toward Jerusalem? Well, what's in Jerusalem? The temple. What's in the temple? The Holy of Holies. What's in the Holy of Holies? The mercy seat. He's crying out to the Lord for mercy. He's suing the Lord for mercy. I know I'm in this situation. I know that by doing this, Lord, what you have put in my heart to pray and to give you thanks, I know that that's going to get me in trouble. So what is he doing? He's suing. He's asking the Lord for mercy. Jonah, same way. Jonah's in the belly of the whale now. Jonah's already rebelled. Jonah's already ran away from God's decree, God's order. God, he's running away from what the Lord told him to do. And now he's been swallowed by a fish. And at the bottom of the fish, in Jonah 2.7, he says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. What was he looking for? What's in the holy temple? The holy of holies. What's in the holy of holies? The mercy seat. All throughout the word, you have the children of God suing or being brought to the feet of the Lord, praying for mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's in the belly of the well. He's looking and he prays for mercy. Mercy to be delivered from the situation that he's in. I hope this means something to you. I hope that every day in your life, as we have these trials and as we have these temptations, as we have these hardships, that the Lord brings you to the throne of grace, which Paul wrote about and said in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain what? Mercy. That we may obtain mercy and find this grace or find grace to help in time of need. Listen. As we are strangers and pilgrims upon this earth, we will always be in a time of need. In a time of trial, of course. That's the time we need to cry out to the Lord for mercy. But in a time of prosperity, that's when our soul and our pride will get puffed up. We need the Lord's mercy there. Isn't that what Paul said? Unless I would be uh, exalted above measure, the Lord gave me this thorn in the flesh, a buffeting of Satan. And he came to see, or was brought to see, as he sued the Lord for mercy, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then later Paul would write, I I glory in these infirmities. What does that? Grace. Grace glories in these infirmities. That the, the mercy of the Lord and that his love will be shown to us. That we will experience the depth of his mercy and grace. Turn with me over to Matthew. 15, Matthew 15. We have about four places to go today, this being our second one. So We've all heard this account also. Uh, not a parable, but a reality of what happened. In, in, verse, in chapter 15, look at, start in verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She comes out of the crowd, not a Jew. 
She's she's not she's not a Jew. But she had heard the gospel. She knew there was one to come and sue at his feet for mercy. What does that? It's the grace of faith to bring her there to begin with. But Jesus says something to her. He says, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. My guess is, just like the rest of us, she was brought to the end of herself. She had tried everything she could possibly think of. But she's heard of this one who cast out devils. She's heard of this one that makes one whole. And she comes and she cries out, and says, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. Well, that's what that first parable told us. That importunity is something, it's a gift of God given to us to cry out again. That when we hear, when we don't hear, or maybe we don't get what we expect right, out, right off, the mercy seat's still open. It's not one prayer and then all of a sudden God shuts up heaven and says, I told you I didn't. He's a merciful, long-suffering Lord with us. But it's going to be in his time. It's not going to be in our time. And we'll learn that. We'll learn that at his feet. We'll learn that by grace. Subduing the flesh. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away. For she cries after us. She's bothering us with these, these hollerings that she's doing. But he answered and he said, I'm not sent. But unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, we know that's what his ministry was, right? It was in Jerusalem. It was He was sent to the people there. That's what he was there for. But we do know he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs. So we know that the Lord knew he had people wherever they were. So he establishes the fact in front of all of them that the gospel first came to Jerusalem, came to the Jews. He said, I, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you think that answer deterred her? Not true faith. It can't. Not, not, not when the Lord brings you to the mercy seat. When the Lord brings you there, it's with a purpose. It's with His purpose. It's for you to be filled. It's for you to obtain that help in time of need. That's what Paul wrote, right? It's not will it. It's not can it. It's not, it's not in your time, though. So she says... Then came she, she and worshipped him, saying, this is even shorter prayer. Lord, help me. Well, what, do, what do you need help? I need mercy. I need you to show mercy to my daughter. I need you to come in this situation as you're the only one who could heal. You're the only one who could cast out this devil. Help me, Lord. But he answered and he said, it is not meat. It is not appropriate. It is not advantageous to take the children's bread, the gospel that has gone to the Jews, and cast it to dogs. He called those outside of Israel dogs. And she said, truth, Lord. See, our fallen nature would be offended at that, wouldn't it? We want somebody to show us mercy, and then they say something to us like, but you really know what you are? You're not, you're not in this number. You, you don't deserve this mercy, which is a true statement. We don't deserve mercy. And then grace subdues. Truth, Lord, you're absolutely right. But the dogs, 
They eat of the crumbs which falls from their master's hand. Lord, just let one crumb of mercy come. She's suing for one crumb of mercy. You know how we are. When we have a trial, in, in a, we're going to the end that's going to make us whole, right? That's all we care about. If it's financial, if it's health, Lord, just heal me. Not what the Lord has for us along the way, or not what, he's, what His purpose is in it. So she comes and just says, Lord, just one crumb is all I want. It's all I need. Just one crumb from your table. One mor- morsel for my soul. And what did Jesus answer her this time? O oh, woman, great is thy faith. Well, it should be. It's His. It's His faith. And it's not like it caught him off by surprise. Great is thy faith. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. You think her will is greater than God's will? Do you think her will is greater than Jesus' will? No. No, it's not. So it was in the will of God. It was in the will of Christ to do this for her. And he brought her to his feet and emptied her. Didn't give her the answer first. Didn't give her the answer second. But mercy answered. And she received that. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. How great is our God. When the Lord said, um, Bartimaeus said to, to Jesus, the blind man, Bartimaeus, he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He needed to see. His soul needed to see. He's crying out for mercy. He's suing. He's pleading for mercy. So I ask you today, the last part of this sermon, I ask you, what is it that we're pleading for? What is it? I I got a couple things written down here I want to share for you, share with you. And the first one, of course, is we want the mercy of the Lord to be revealed to us in his blood. In his blood. We want the Lord to reveal to us that our sins are put away. You could hear that in the plea, can't you? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. What does he need? He needs the balm of Gilead. He needs the blood of Christ applied to his soul to make him whole. He needs the Lord to reveal to him that he is his salvation. That when he died on the cross, that the blood that flowed, that efficacious power of that blood, it flowed for you. It flowed for him. That's what mercy is suing for. Lord, I, I need I need to know that your blood covered that sin, covers my sins, covers the multitude of sins. Turn with me over to Hebrews 9, our third stop. Verse 12. I always go here when I want to talk about his blood. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. Now I think of that right there, and I think about our situation we have in this parable today. We have one that wants to get in on his own merits. He wants to get in under his own duties. He wants to get in under his own what he's done for God. But we just heard here, it's not by the blood of goats and calves. That's over with. 
There's a better, new, and living way. And this is it. But by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That mercy seat was purchased with his blood. He is a, he has he has obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. Isn't that what we've seen with the religious man? Everything he said. I don't do this. I don't do that. What is it? What's he looking at? What's he trying? Look how pure my flesh is. Look at the outside of me. Look how pretty I am. I've done none of these things. Jesus said, but I can look into your soul and you're wicked. The wickedness that's there is far dirtier than anything you can do on the outside. How much more, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, here's what that blood does, purge your conscience from dead works. That's what the blood does. It shows us his merit. It shows us what he's done for us. It changes our vocabulary, if it will. And that eye is swallowed up and the blood runs over the eye and that eye is, is, is replaced with yet not I, as Paul said. Yet not I. But you, Lord, this is what you did in your perfect sacrifice. This is the power of your blood. This is, Lord, this is what I need Cleanse me. That's what David said in Psalm 51. Cleanse me, Lord. And that's the only way I'll be clean is if you cleanse me. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. He died outside of the city as a criminal and his blood flowed for his people and to cover the multitude of our sins. And this word that's used here is he, he, that he might sanctify to make us holy. Our holiness is only by him and his blood covering the multitude of our sins. That's his holiness. That's how we're holy as he is holy. We're holy in his holiness. When that blood is applied and we're cleansed and we're washed clean and we're made and we're clothed in the righteousness robe of Christ and we're spotless, that's all of Him. That's all of Him. Religion's gone. Religion's cut. Religion's put down. It's all of Christ. It's all of what He's done for our soul. It's what He's done for our entire person. Acts 20, 28 says this. Paul said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and, uh, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. His blood purchased the church. Is that something you need to know? That you're in that number? Then is that something you're suing and pleading and asking the Lord? Lord of mercy. Reveal to me that I'm in your church. That I am, in, I am in your body. That you are the head of me, Lord. Reveal that to me. This is what mercy... It ain't mercy. It's mercy in these 
This is what the child of God wants. He wants to feel the blood. He wants to know he's in that number. He wants to know that he wants the mercy to show him that he's purchased by that blood. And then, of course, in Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The blood of Christ justifies the sinner and shows us that we're not guilty because of Christ's merit, because of his blood, because of his perfect obedience, because of his righteousness. And don't miss that little phrase, be sa- we shall be saved from wrath. Isn't that something we need to know? Because when the Holy Spirit does reveal to us that we are the man, that it is our sin, that it is our sin that put him on the cross, we know what Romans 6.23 says, that the wages of sin is death. We know that that was what, what we are worthy of. But mercy, the mercy of the Lord to reveal his blood and to show that shed blood covering our sins and justifying us and making us holy. That's the power of the blood. That's what we're suing for. That's what we're asking for. Lord, show me the blood. Show me. You know, just just as the, remember the, the Israelites, they had to put that over the doorpost so that the angel of death would not come upon them. That's what we need to see. Lord, show me your blood that I know the angel of death isn't coming to me. That I'm saved from death. That I have eternal life in thy son. That's what we want to know, especially when we're faced with the specter of death here. When we have the the diseases, when we have the sicknesses, when we have the ailments, when we're just feeling it every morning, when we're getting up and we know we're getting older. And the sin that's riddled in our bodies is breaking our bodies down. Oh Lord, reveal to me that I'm in that number. Reveal to me, Lord, that I'm saved by grace. Reveal to me the mercy of thy blood. But as I've always already hinted on, there's mercy in his commands. Matthew, who's sitting at that receipt of custom, had to hear the voice of the shepherd. Follow me. That's a command. Think about these commands as I read them to you. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, who's dead, he needed to hear the voice and hear that command. That's what mercy's play. Lord, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear you command me. Because when he commands me, he enables me. That's what faith does. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Zacchaeus, come down. Make haste. Come down from that lofty perch that you're on. We got it. That's what mercy, Lord, I need to hear you say to me, come down from my high-mindedness. Come down from my high-righteousness. That's the only way you're coming down, is to hear his voice. And the power in it. The man with the withered hand, he said to him, stretch forth thy hand. He didn't say to him, you know, if you find it in your will, or if if you're having a good day and you feel like doing it, that's not how the Lord speaks to his people. He commands and he enables. And they don't shy away from that. Mercy pleads, Lord, I need to hear your command. I need to hear you command me to come out of darkness. 
I need to hear you command me to leave the world behind, to follow you in the way, the truth, and the life that's in thy son. Mercy pleads that. And finally, oh, well, now let me share one, one verse I have for you. Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things. This is what he said to his disciples as he was sending them out. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the end of the world. That's the promise of the command is I'm always with you. So he sent them out. So he said, do whatsoever I have commanded you. And the child of God doesn't shout back at that. Yes, Lord, command me. I want to hear your commands. Because that's how we're empowered. We're not empowered in our will, and we're not empowered by self. And so, we've just hinted on my last heading here, the promises. Pleading the promises of the Lord. He's promised so much in these pages. There's so much mercy in his promises, but he's He's promised everything. And Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. He said, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay. There was no wishy-washiness with the Lord. There was no contradiction in anything that the Lord has ever said to us. There's no contradiction in His promises. But in him was yea. For all the promises of God in Christ, in him, are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. All the promises that the Lord has promised here are yea and amen. That means they're absolute. That means every one of them is for every one of the children of God. And as we are brought to the mercy seat to plead for the mercy of the Lord, we can plead His promises. You promised faith to Abraham. You promised if I, if I come this way, you will show me this. You promised me, Lord, by Your Word that You are always faithful to me. You've promised me, Lord, that Your blood will, will flow has flowed efficaciously over all my sins. Lord, lift me out of this this dung heap that I'm in. Pleading the promises, the mercy of His promises that He has promised us all of our days and our lives. Last place we'll go is in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Just look at, we'll just uh, read 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Do you believe that? He's given us all things. There's a promise that we plead at His mercy seat. Lord, You have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that he, that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, the church, the people of God, exceeding great and precious promises, exceeding that by these, by these promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature. 
You hear that? We have a divine nature in us. It's the Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he has promised to reveal that. He has promised that that nature is far greater than your fallen nature. That that nature is the winner of the war. We always say that. There's a warfare, but we know that the war has been won. (coughs) Having escaped, listen to this, that you might be partakers of the divine nature. Listen to the last phrase. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Have you? Have you escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust? The lust of our eyes, the pride of life, all the things that we look and see. Have you have you been able to escape that? Well, there's only one way. It's through the mercy of his promises that he will deliver you and he will show you the way in his son. We talked about that last time. There's a way to escape those temptations. That same way is the way of Christ and the way of his holiness. It's himself. And so we have Christ today the mercy in his blood, the mercy in his commands, the mercy in his promises. Now let's go back and finish in our text. Our text reads this way, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Hopefully that this morning will take on more meaning for you as you leave this place. What is it? Does it mean? What is it? What does the fullness of that prayer mean? It is a plea that the Lord has given us to cry out to Him for mercy. Mercy in all of these things. And there's so much more. There's mercy of the Lord in, in His resolve. There's mercy in His patience. There's mercy in His long-suffering. All these things, We, we all these promises is that He has promised to, to be that for us. And he's provided a place in himself. He's the altar, you know that, to come and to commune with him. Look at the last verse. I tell you, Jesus said, this man, the publican, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. And that that had to hit those Pharisees right between the eyes, didn't it? You know what it hits too? It hits that fallen nature of ours right between the eyes. Oh Lord, your ways are not our ways. That's right. That's right. The ways of grace aren't. But when he makes us partakers of grace, then there are ways. By him and him alone. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. I love those shalls. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Is that all of him? Absolutely. May the Lord bring us to to experience coming to his throne of grace to obtain mercy. May he show us that need, first the need for it, and then bring us to sue and to plea for that mercy because he's faithful to fulfill the plea, the promise, and all that he's done. He's faithful to himself. Dear Heavenly Father, May you add thy power and thy clarity, thy comfort and thy love. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.